I was literally starting zero at 35. Uh, my dad was scandalizing. <laughs> like, dude, what are you doing? So you should not be anxious every year looking at your savings and thinking, what am I doing? Hmm. I mean, to be real, right? So 34, 35, I came back to India. Hmm. I had a loan from US. Hmm. Startups call you for a coffee for an interview. They never tell you it's an interview. So I went in assuming it's a coffee where I'm getting to know the firm. I walked out with an offer. I still hold 70% of my shares at Zomato. I have not sold. Yeah. And I don't plan to sell them anytime soon. This is a textbook wealth creation story via ESOPs. Just salary is not going to create wealth. Hi, I'm Sandeep Jaitwani, the co-founder of Deserve and the host of the Create Wealth podcast. In this episode, I talk to Mukund Kulasekharan, who is the Chief Business Officer India at Urban Company and was previously Chief Business Officer at Zomato. We talked to him about his journey of wealth creation through ESOPs. What are his learnings? What are some of the mistakes he's made? We talk about how he scaled consumer businesses in India and his story of transitioning from US to India, from consulting to operations and from Zomato to Urban Company. I hope you'll enjoy this one. Mukund, uh, in your life, there have been three fascinating transitions, if you will, right? Uh, you moved from US to India. Uh, you switched from consulting to being an operator. And then recently or some time ago, you moved from Zomato to UC. I want to explore and dig into all of these three, starting with the US to India thing, right? And today India is hot. It's on everybody's radar. But probably when the time you did it, it wasn't so, right? What was the thought process at that point in time? Yeah, I, I mean, one connecting dot, you will realize when I speak about all the threes, they were not well rational <laughs> reasons. A lot of it was, I would say, intuition and uh, personal, I would say, to a certain extent. Um, India was mostly because two things. One, um, it, it was clear for both Shiva and me that we wanted to raise our kids here mm -hmm. uh, for, mm -hmm. for obvious reasons, right? So I think one was just that. So we, we in fact, moved, as, especially when we knew we were expecting. Sure. Uh, that was the trigger. The second one, which I think in hindsight became more clear for me is, the type of work I was doing in US was all cost, cost, cost. And and I think it was clear that the growth was very moderate at best. Uh, and I and I, whenever I speak to friends in India at that point in time, I realized a lot was happening. Yeah. Uh, so that excitement was much more clear here than in the US. And is that like one of the things to think about? Like which part of the company's PNL do you sit at? No, exactly right. I was at BCG. Yeah. I used to do consulting. That, Four of my work in the US was how do you restructure cost? It was clear what was happening. Right? Like People were either consolidating, buying. So it was clear that it was get maturing and there were parts of the economy, of course, which was getting better, but it was clear that the majority was sitting there. Hmm. And there were a couple of projects, thankfully, in India, I got involved. All of this was very, very growth investment. So one was like somebody in, in the US trying to invest in India. So of course, there was like people who were pulled in because we had both sides understanding. That's when I got the flavor that there was a lot of action by that time. So yeah. I would still say I was not that early because it 20, by 2014, and I think Flipkart was already in a reasonable place. There was enough excitement. Mm. Um, so I think it was early period where excitement was just starting and mm. I could start to feel it uh, because I did a few due diligence. And then was, that's when I realized, okay, action is here. We did a due diligence. We'll compare it to China. Okay. And then I realized, oh my God, if this plays out even halfway, yeah. uh, this is going to be berserk. Clearly, it was a good bet, but so therefore, this was intense, it was challenging, it was fun, like you said, and yet, then you decide to move to the operating side. 
uh, and quit what would be considered a great job to have in India. So what caused the shift from BCG to Zomato? I think it was just the excitement, right? I think when you sit on this side of the table and do due diligence, hmm. you suddenly realize how exciting the other side is. Yeah. Um, and I also kind of realized that it's a no regret move. Hmm. Worst case, two years, doesn't go anywhere. I can come back to consulting if required. So I also realized it it was really no risk. In, in, in And I think the good part was one of my good friends who had done it a few years back and I had a chat with him saying, because I thought it was a lot of risk and all of it. He was like, yeah, at best, you're going to be two years behind your batch. Right. Does it really matter? I was like, doesn't matter. Then he was like, you should do it. Worst case, what will happen? You don't like it, we'll switch back. Uh, but then I think it just worked out and I think I never looked back from that point on. The interesting part is, startups call you for a coffee for an interview. They never tell you it's an interview. So I went in assuming it's a coffee where I'm getting to know the firm. I walked out with an offer. So it was not a well thought through decision where I spent weeks thinking about it. But uh, didn't you like uh, evaluate other options aside from Zomato? That was like the N is equal to one and you chose out of that? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> I think as you will get to know me as we go through the conversation, uh, you will realize. See, I always... see. In hindsight, I had already done a little bit of due diligence. Okay. So, while on BCG, I looked at enough firms because there were a couple of projects where we had to invest money. So, I knew that I don't want to go too early because that is was not, I mean, I had twins and I knew I need some salary. So, I can't do like a series A. So, in my mind, it was already clear that it had to be like a series B plus company, which had some revenue and some runway. Mm. So, at that time, there were like four or five real options. Okay. Um. And I think I just hit it off at that point in time. Right. The, the people I met were interesting. A couple of my old friends were working there. Mm. It kind of seemed like this seems right. Mm. And I don't need to think more. And they were also smart by giving me an offer immediately and make me feel special. I think it just flipped very fast. And what did you think that in that journey that you were evaluating for in the course of the discussion, the coffee that was happening? I suspect you realized after a few discussions that this was a proper formal conversation actually yeah. going on. But what was the evaluation process that out of the, say, five that you would have had, how were you checking the boxes? I would say just two things, right? Um, this also, I think, one of my bosses early on taught me. You want to look at market, market risk and execution risk. Okay. Um, market risk was not really there. I think it was clear that food is a very large market. The comp in fact, right before that, we had done a similar work and I knew... If you look at comparable markets, it was remarkably large compared to where India was at that point of time. Because food delivery was just getting started. And by which time in the Western markets, food delivery was a thing? West actually was not a big market. China was very big. Methuan and Elema were already very big by that time. Okay. I would say UK and US had a few comparables, but they had not still done full stack delivery. So sure. it was, in fact, US, I would say, was a lag in the market. I would say Postmates and DoorDash was a much later thing than... Uh, what happened in in India and China. So, right comparable was actually China. So, mm. I knew market risk, maybe timing could go off, but it was clear that there is something going to be big sure. coming out of here. Then the second question was more around execution, which is, is the team driven and passionate? And are there smart people around? And I think after the discussion, that was very clear. And a couple of my friends were also there. So, I knew the team was fairly good. Um, so, I knew... If a team were to crack it, they had a fairly good odds of doing it. So outside of the fact that market risk you had probably already evaluated before going into the conversation, execution risk you were probably trying to figure out during the conversation. But these were the broadly the two things that you were checking in. Any, any things on like how the folks are, the people that you'll work with? So I think for me that comes inside execution. Um, 
honestly speaking i've realized the more simple the mental model is it works easier mm. because the more complicated the decision becomes it it's then it difficult you can rationalize it to yourself that it was the right decision mm. i also feel culture is very fundamental to context mm. so if it's a highly competitive market you have to be aggressive mm. you have to be a hustle company mm. if it's like a like a very complex business like what we are at uc you have to be more methodical and thoughtful i do think so culture is a lot of context which drives into it and i knew food is going to be highly competitive it was very clear by then like there were like six guys fighting it out mm. their culture was very aggressive and mm. very on the face interesting so i knew that this is what it would take and to some extent i am also high adrenaline mm. so i knew mm. i would fit in because mm. i actually like it being competitive i've always been a sportsman all my life mm. so i prefer it being competitive than non and then there was a point where zomato had scaled and yep. you decided to switch to uc which by this time was also a reasonably scaled company uh, uh or uc not. was not so was that, i think second order second time i said let me take a little bit more risk okay so say for zomato i think was a much better scale because unlike their delivery business being new their advertising business was actually actually quite established got it um they were i would say by far the most high traffic site in India and many parts of the world when you think about food so they were fairly established in that perspective uh, yes they pivoted over the period but i think as a business both from a valuation and all of it was at a much different scale you mm. see i would say both from revenue number of users valuations was a very different scale mm. um in that perspective mm. so yes yeah, second time around i realized i should take more risk because i think i know some bit mm. now i should like uh, be a bit more risk taking but i did want to be of a certain scale because i realized i am a slightly seasoned leader yeah uh, i will only be able to add values at a certain scale 0 to 1 i may not be able to add a lot of value then i may be better off just starting myself sure so the difference between starting and joining might be the same hmm. um so i was like let me keep it at, i mean in fact i had a number in my mind i said 100 to 200 million hmm. is where i wanted to be Hmm. and then i was like okay well, what is 100 to 200 million what that valuation valuation that of the point, company or yes, at the time as, as a proxy that sure. usually yeah. means series yeah, b something of that nature zomato i would say was much closer to a billion by the time i joined got it so here i was like okay let me come below a couple of steps let's start somewhere there that means pmf is kind of established hmm. they have something going i understand how to make scale happen hmm. so maybe it's a good match of like what is needed and what i can bring on the table now that you came into uc again it would have been a little bit of a difference between what you were experiencing at zomato which by this time was a scaled company and uc which was still relatively early in its growth phase right what were the fundamental adjustments that you had to make in that journey so i, I think two things right one is just mindset um I, i would say one of the reasons i didn't scale as a great leader and and see when businesses grow fast it puts immense pressure on you to grow with the business i think sometimes we underestimate that need hmm. i would say one of the things i didn't get right at zomato was just how well am i adapting to the business and somewhere you are kind of becoming the bottleneck and then the pressure starts to build on explain you. that tamukun so for instance the business is going rapidly yeah so you as a leader your job changes dramatically say maybe first year when it's scaling from say 0 to 1 hmm. you have to be hands on you have to really understand the business know the math of it hmm. and then you have to make things happen once it's got into a certain scale say a million deliveries a month mm. the next stage actually needs you to build a team mm. now make a playbook mm. and make this thing happen yeah and then once it gets to like a 5 6 million then india's tam becomes a real problem mm. then you need to really think 
what do i need to unlock now yeah to really supercharge this business so as a leader now you have to keep changing your job profiles as you move through the journey sure. and i think i almost lagged there because in hindsight because i possibly i was doing it for the first time or whatever it is mm. right so i always felt i was two steps behind on what is needed to be done mm. as by by job mm. and hence that shows up as burnout mm. or, or like misunderstanding and all of it at the root of it is basically you not deeply understanding what your job is yeah. and you're not doing your job well no it's an interesting one because you know a lot of leaders and i would say even i've gone through that journey where the business is doing really well but you feel like or i felt like i'm coming up short yeah uh, and now in hindsight it seems like i was not thinking hard enough about what my role had changed to become now right and i guess that's pretty much exactly so my takeaway after zomato was i need to be a bit more proactive about this hmm. uh, and i'm also a little bit of an emotional guy so that makes it problematic right if you're emotional and if you're not proactively thinking about it hmm. then you it puts you into a little bit of an aggressive mindset hmm. of like the ego starts to play in right who's right hmm. which i think is the bad place to be in what sure. you actually need when you're building something at a crazy pace is lot more openness to be looking at the business and coming to an answer while it has to be conviction driven hmm. it has to be the good part of ego is to play which hmm. is your conviction hmm. but you should be very open to looking at where you're going wrong and how to course correct interesting i would still say i'm halfway there hmm. and, and people will laugh when I, they 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 a lot of people rely on you for advice <laughs> yes uh, so I, so i still think biggest change for me was, when i came into uc was to get this right in my head saying i need to be very conscious what is my job at hand hmm. and 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 be dispassionate about it hmm. so that consciously i keep flipping so two things i did was thankfully i have a couple of mentors who now i meet almost every quarter same people for a long period of time and they are also i respect them deeply so i think now there are a couple of people who keep me course correcting keep course correcting me saying yaar is this the right thing to be doing why are you doing this so but that is important to be done in a non judgmental and an objective fashion i have realized at work it becomes challenging because everybody has too much context so i think in a slightly outside context i have actually realized it's way more easier for me to do it at least in my case i want to go back to the zomato journey uh, and when you joined zomato primarily the business was of listings of restaurants right it was sort of yelp of sorts yep. uh, for india and by the time you exited it was the largest food delivery player in india right and you shaped that outcome going in how was the job defined like when you signed up for zomato was it clear that you will do this food delivery business or was it like ambiguous no no i don't think anybody joining a startup should expect to have any job description and i'm sure mm. that's the intention of your question um so of course not i didn't even know i'll join the food delivery business mm. to be in all honesty mm. I, they said we are hiring a bunch of folks to help us um do various initiatives in the company so come over i was also like that makes sense honestly if somebody gave me a clear jd i would have actually been a little bit worried mm. because you're joining an early stage so that i don't have a jd right mm. i mean that's the reason i'm running away from structured work mm. so i was fine with that it so happened that business of delivery needed a lot of ops experience mm. i had spent a lot of time at itc mm. in fact building factories running factories so mm. operations was very natural to me i enjoyed doing it got it so it was just and and i think the first job to be done was we needed to digitize these menus and put one of these small phones at the restaurant so that they can take orders very ops problem it was just like collect menu digitize karo phone laga do but it has to be run like a factory because you're trying to do 10000 like period of like a few weeks right so it needed someone with 
and so my muscle was perfect. Yeah. So that was the first thing they started me on. Yeah, can you just solve this problem? Three, four weeks, I think we got it up and running. The good part is in a startup, I think good that you don't have roles. Then I think they were like, okay, isko aap hai. Chalo, let's give more. Then I started running sales. Within no time, I think maybe five, six months, I started running the India business. So that's how it fairly organically happened. And sales was getting restaurants onto the platform. Exactly. So, so I would say first was digitization, then getting restaurants on board, and then like getting all of these things together, mm. including product and how do you actually make the consumer side work. Sure. Um, so I think within like six, seven months, I started to run the full business. But of course, that time the business was also small, yeah. in all honesty. But at least it was fun. I think it, I don't think I realized the organic transition happening. It was almost like, ye bhi karna hai, ye bhi karna hai. and soon one fine day you realized, okay, yeah. this is your my journey. neck is on the line uh, now. <laughs> got it. So, I don't think it was that formal. Sure. That's the great part about Zumato and DP. So it was not so formal. Mm. It was, I think, just organically happened. Sure. Um, I also think for the first time, after a long time, I was having amazing fun. Mm. It was like, I don't think I slept a lot. I don't think I had weekends. Mm. Uh, thanks to Sheba, I think she let me do whatever I wanted to do. I was having amazing fun. Hmm. Um, so I don't think it, I even realized what was happening. It was just day in and day out such a hustle, hmm. that zero to one part, that I truly enjoyed it. Uh, the adrenaline and the fit, I think, was natural. Hmm. So the first year just breezed through. And then how did food delivery happen? And which point did... No, so I'm saying that the digitization was actually for the food delivery. So from month, the week one, I was on food delivery. Just that I started with very small part of food delivery. And then organically, I started to run the full food delivery business. It was just very organic. It was not thought through or... But, uh, you know, Mukund, coming from ITC, which is operations of a different kind, here you're sort of scaling very rapidly, right? And there are like debates, especially in the context of market cycles, that blitzscaling should be done, not done. Is India right for a blitzscaling sort of a framework or not? Is Do you have a mental model around that? That which businesses, how much do you spend on investing into growth uh, versus like doing it steadily over a period of time? See, I feel this is a tough one. And I also feel there's a lot of hindsight and survival bias in that answer. So we have to be very careful. Um, because if it's this easy, then PMF would be easier. Yeah. So I think that's the caveat, biggest caveat I would say. Normally, I've seen if there is a little bit of land grab going, mm. you have to blitz scale. You have no choice. So if there, it's a competitive environment, where exactly. a bunch of players, and the fact that this is a winner can take significant share. More than winners take all, meaning if there is a density aspect to the business Got or it. a scale aspect which aids both consumer side and supply side mm. because better scale gives you maybe lower cost and better scale gives you better assortment. Yeah. In Zomato's case, both is true. Yeah. Better scale gives you better assortment by bringing more restaurants yeah. and better scale gives you higher density and lower cost. There is a land grab going when there are four or five people fighting. Yeah. I don't think in those contexts you actually have a choice. So that's why I would say in many cases, this is a theoretical question mm. because the minute something seems interesting, mm. 20 people will jump. Mm. Once so many people jump, you really don't have a choice to now think that I blitz scale or not. Hmm. If the assumption is that there is a high advantage by having scale, hmm. which I think most consumer businesses at least have, hmm. you may have to go down that path whether you like it or not. Hmm. Um, so unfortunately, then you have to live with the burn to a certain extent, hoping that once you get to scale, you'll recoup all of this. I think it's interesting because you know when, I, when you're talking about it, it seems like there is a clear contrast between yep. that and let's say what we do in fintech or wellTech or lending tech, yeah. right? If you blitz scale and you grow your lending book very fast, 
you have serious closed. issues exactly yeah, then because their scale doesn't give you advantage correct that because the cost of borrowing still is going to remain the same your npa depends determines your pnl quite a bit so i would stay that's why and i only understand marketplace businesses so i don't want to also assume i know everything at least in consumer marketplace businesses mm. by definition marketplaces need scale mm. for both sides of the marketplace to find value mm. and scale hence has to be a very important factor and if you can reach the scale faster you will anyway make way more money after that to compensate for all the loss correct so even if you do the math which i don't think any of us did to be on all honesty mm. but in hindsight if you have to do the math also mm. i would still say blitz scaling might beat any day slow scale mm. because the money you'll throw from scale mm. would be so much more than taking more time to get there yeah and i think in this context mukund i don't think a lot of us in india understand this blitz scaling concept because how does it get translated into a pnl of a company is that 100 rupees was spent to get 1 rupee of revenue yeah. right and all of that criticism comes out whereas actually what the founder and the team are trying to do potentially is sort of scale their way into future uh, revenues right yeah. no no that's where i think cac to ltv is i think I mean, the cliched way of cac and ltv i think makes the maximum sense right because there is a cost of acquisition for both customer side and the partner side so if you put that as one cost and there is a lifetime value and lifetime value is 3 years let's not take beyond 3 in india you don't know what's going to happen yeah. if that math is very solid mm. then you should do it as much as you can uh, and in food it was very very clear that match was super solid because mm. it was a habit building category the minute people started liking to order mm. the frequencies naturally increased over a period of time. and you had evidence of this by the time you were scaling yeah we were already having evidence and it was very clear that the ltvs were remarkably better compared to the cac got it um and we also knew the cac will only come down hmm. because as your network gets larger hmm. the cost of acquisition becomes only easier imagine every new restaurant will be easier than the old restaurant because you are able to give gen you are actually giving them dhanda right this is not selling advertisement so right. you are actually giving them dhanda so if the new guy will be easier than the old guy and even on the consumer side once your word of mouth starts to kick in and people start to see that okay this is actually making my life better mm. it only makes it better so the cac for a period actually starts to drop before yeah. it climbs up again yeah. and i don't think even without the math i would still say it is reasonably strong so no, it makes sense and i think this is a great framework for somebody thinking about how some consumer businesses are spending ahead of schedule yeah. uh, and why they are not profitable. i mean i mean to be honest even very old school businesses we rename it as capex and cool stuff right i mean if tata is building a factory for making cars of course there's a huge upfront spent yeah. as capex yeah it's just that in the pnl it's called capex and taken out to the balance sheet and you put that as depreciation yeah here we don't do capex depreciation because our capex is all like marketing dollars and subsidies so it's and even like giving free stuff to people right i remember back in the day when nestle used to give maggie packets in school yeah. right we used to have these school events when nestle guys would come and serve us maggie at lunch right Uh, yeah, now, yeah, I mean that, uh, that's how we, that, that's how we build a new behavior. Right? Yeah. See, the truth is only one in five will work. So the world will always see. See, I told you so. But the game we are playing is the odds, right? I mean, if one in five still works, you've created so much value uh, for the ecosystem. So world will always keep saying, "I told you so," and I'm sure for the next twenty years we'll keep having these nice articles which say you spent one rupee to make like sixty cents. I think that's good. Uh, content but i think the truth is you're playing a probabilistic game everybody knows that uh, and if the odds work in your favor i think it it is great absolutely uh, mukund i'm going to switch to something much more personal now sure which is uh, your personal wealth creation journey right now 
when you switched from BCG to Zomato, uh, probably what was not super clear or maybe it was that uh, ESOPs or share of equity in the company is a large part of compensation, right? How did you think about that? Was there a negotiation around that? Uh, was that sort of renegotiated at every period intervals? Tell, talk us a little bit about that. So firstly, I think um, understanding ESOPs took me some time, in all honesty. Right? But I, I fundamentally realized just salary is not going to create wealth. I think it's very clear in my head because if you do the math as a consultant, you work a very long time to uh, create good wealth because you're at the end of the day, you're charging client a charge for your hour. Sure. Beyond a point, it's capped. So in a way, you're renting your time and time is limited. Exactly, right? You're, because I, know I have to keep stretching my time, mm. which I think beyond a point doesn't make sense. So it was clear that you have to own some part of a business to really create wealth. And of course, that then has a higher risk. Mm. Of course, right? This risk yeah. reward is very clear in yeah. um, everybody. So to start with, first I knew I can take the risk because my OPEX is low. So yeah. like, let's go for the home run. Mm. Any which risk doesn't matter. Mm. So let's do the home run and see what happens. Mm. Uh, I think was the thought. Mm. Uh, so, hence I knew ownership is important. Mm. I, of course, didn't know how ESOPs investing and all of this work. I think that I, I think I learned over a period of time and realized, oh my God, this is a little bit complicated. And I actually need and to learn. And how important that is. Yes, yes. I, I didn't know vesting, kya hota hai, holding period, kya hota hai, and like strike price. There's so much nuance to it. I, I think I only learned that maybe two, three years in, to be candid, um, not upfront. Uh, and I think most founders are also employee first because they realize if you don't do this right any which way people will not stick with you so to that extent i don't think understanding it makes a ton of difference but i think you'll go with your eyes wide open sure um so i think that's good to know mm. so to answer your question yes i did negotiate um i in fact negotiated such that my cash was lower and my equity was higher so i think they were also happy because you can't keep both and say because i've had a few people even negotiate with me saying i want you to match my cash and give me equity i'm like like that doesn't make economic sense for any one of us like you have to take some trade-off sure. um so i was i think fairly willing to do that i dropped my cash not just my bonus i removed my bonus out of consulting mm. and i dropped my base pay further and I converted all of that into equity in some form or the other. Mm. Um, so that I get a much higher X. Um, so starting, that was the simple math. One year, one and a half years in, once they knew how good I was, then of course the conversation was very different. Saying, you can see the value I'm bringing to the table. What do you think is the right way to think about equity? And was it like proactive from your side or sort of like a appraisal linked conversation that, that was happening as it went? I, I would say it was mixed at least at that point in time because I, I think they, I think the good part is we all work closely so people can see what value you're bringing to the table. So folks were also kind of already nudging me towards that and, and then I was also like, should we talk about it? I don't think I was too mature so I do think now I've gotten a little bit mature on how to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. I think it was a little bit more, I think people have I find it very uncomfortable to talk about compensation, to yeah. be honest. So it was like this awkward conversation saying, should we look at equity again? Uh, and But then I think as soon as I started the conversation, it moved so fast. So I realized that there was trust on both sides. The thing with ESOPs is uh, that how do you figure out what's the right number, right? Because when it comes to cash comp, there are benchmarks yeah. that you can put at it. And in your mind, you can rationalize it. But when it comes to ESOPs, there are no real benchmarks, Agreed. right? Your company is worth something else. Some other company is worth something else. So you can't compare that. Even within your company, you can't compare with each other. One is private, two roles are different, yeah. right? So how, how was that 
thought process going on like when you this is the right amount i should ask for i think thankfully i didn't ask for an amount i first said should we reconsider this and then in fact the conversation was okay how should we do it because i assumed it's not only my problem right like there were a bunch of us who were all building together um so i think hence it became like a little bit of a math exercise saying here okay how do we determine this number and then we realized okay let's say we all want to create at least this kind of wealth for all the core folks hmm. and if that's the kind of wealth we need what's the kind of equity we need to make that real with an assumption that a lot of it will come from compounding yeah. because one has to also realize that it cannot come from grant size of beginning i think this took me a while to understand to be no honest. explain this this is very interesting so let's take zomato's case as well right yeah. from the time my esop was given to today hmm. we are at a 1214x appreciation okay so you have to believe there will be appreciation you can't believe there will be a 4x appreciation and negotiate equity yeah. but then you're pretty much asking for a huge chunk yeah and also you're assuming i want to make overnight a lot of money hmm. if a company grows i think at 25% for 10 years it's 10x hmm. and if it grows 25% for 15 years i think it's 30x mota moti yeah. like that's the number i hold in my head so just to keep because compounding is difficult to remember so i remember some two three numbers so that i don't so 25% is your know, money is doubling every 3 years exactly so in a 10 rule year of period, 72 to the part 3 and therefore uh, exactly i do the rule of 372 right so it's just easy to kind of keep the broad math right yeah so I knew I should at least take a 10 year view of this and I knew whatever I will get I can get maybe a 10x appreciation because I could see a grow kegger of 25 30 at zomato it's not going to be slower than that so I was like okay I should take a 10x of this and would I be comfortable at a 10x of this mm. uh that number seemed good mm. and it was very generous to be very honest I was like okay th- this actually makes me feel uncomfortable that I am valued this much oh. um so I think in hindsight the most important thing which clicked in my head is do not take a 3 4 year view of this. And in reality also that's what has happened. I mean I still hold 70% of my shares at Zomato I have not sold. Um and it's been I think more than 7 8 years since they were issued and I don't plan to sell them anytime soon that's uh, amazing conviction as a wealth yeah, manager yeah. we would want you to diversify but yes we'll, that's we'll... what my wealth manager keeps telling me but i'm like yaar i'm already paying for the barbell effect here <laughs> i'm not covering my sure yes my wealth manager keeps telling me saying you are 60% portfolio 70% is here what are you doing i'm like trust me on this one <laughs> no but i think the interesting insight for me there is that if you have let's say esops worth 10 lakh rupees a lot of times people value it not only Three, not even three four x, but all the ten lakh rupee value. You say like I'm getting ESOPs only worth ten lakh rupees, but you've got to believe that it's in a certain span of time will be ten x of that, and therefore this is actually potentially worth a crore that you're getting today. Right? Because that is the see. If you don't believe that the ESOPs are anyway not going to be worth. See, no company is going to get IPO'd at a flat growth rate and yeah. like very low valuation. Then you're toast. Yeah. That's a case where its money is gone. So. that case is as good as assuming esop is zero because you're only playing for upside in esop there's no point there is no average case in esop either you become big or you become irrelevant there is no middle class of in most companies at least right you there are only two ends of the barbell you're better off playing for the two ends of the barbell and saying in the case where it is plays out well will i end up on the good side and if that happens great if not no i i completely believe that so basically you start with the place of conviction and then have that discussion because yes. if you don't start with a place of conviction then that discussion is moot in many ways because then you're almost then as an employee you're saying that i don't believe this company will go anywhere hmm. which is then 
in my mind a bigger problem right because then you there is no point having skin in the game yeah. if you yourself don't have conviction then i would say go find please something else you have conviction in mm. uh, because that boundary condition i think is important to agree on yeah. yeah this will grow yeah. uh, yes we can debate whether it will grow 10x or 15x that's okay mm. uh, that we can take the bear case and go with it mm. but you we believe it will grow 4x over the next 7 8 years then you're basically saying we are toast so uh, the interesting part of esops is that you know there is a vesting schedule once vested there's a period during which you got to exercise those esops right and when you exercise those esops in a growing company you end up paying a significant amount of tax yes so for a lot of folks it's confusing whether i should exercise and convert it into stock or continue to hold it as esops did you have that thought process or discussion at any point and did you exercise them or was it post ipo see the truth is firstly i didn't have an option to exercise before ipo for most companies that's difficult right because getting a loan um on an unsecuritized at unlisted asset is difficult is difficult yeah. right? it carries a very high risk so i think that option is pretty much off the table for most people uh, so i would say it's mostly post ipo which where it happens unless it's an immediate secondary where anyways there's no loan right you're just selling there's no then holding the esop gets cashed out so there is no uh, exactly there's no risk so that that secondary situation i'm not even taking um so i'm taking the scenario where you have to vest and hold vesting and holding with an ipo i would recommend to very few people that's a crazy amount of risk you're taking because you're taking a loan of anywhere up to 35 40% depending on which tax bracket you're in and then you're holding it perpetually for a period of time in an illiquid asset i don't think even i have that risk appetite so mm. i will never do it mm. uh, in all honesty so i have done it only post ipo mm. even there what i have normally seen is any which way i have to pay that 40% mm. whether it's now or 4 years later mm. so i have not done the math really to know does the timing really matter it's my risk appetite at every point of time how much loan i want to take yeah. because there is a small window where it vests yeah. and then you sell mm. because there's like a 10 day break yeah. so you need to manage cash flows a little smartly yeah. so i am usually like okay i am comfortable managing this cash flow and so i've been doing it in kind of tranches to get myself comfortable sure and what about the you know during the process of pre listing the company has a bunch of secondaries sometimes these secondary opportunities are offered to employees where they get an option to sell some of the esops yeah. how do you think about that at which point did why did you do it why did you not do it or rest of the gang around you how how was everybody thinking about it so i think i've seen all the extremes of fully people cashing out during secondary um to not selling at all um because vamsi and a few friends have kept forcing me saying you need to start taking money off the table otherwise like basically to your point right like you're just leveraging risk like crazy i think every time somebody had to nudge me to say please take something off the table because i have asked every time then this happens saying yeah i don't feel i should sell mm. there's so much upside left mm. but every time people have said no take a small chunk it's just it's a water cooler moment also right it gives you comfort and in hindsight i've also seen value to it just having a little bit more money in the bank has mm. gotten me a little bit more comfortable yeah. but i have taken the minimum viable always i'm not suggesting this for everybody i mean my lifestyle and the choices i'm making i think are like i'm comfortable with the choice so i have done rem- slightly small ch- chunks to just have a water cooler moment and have some money in the bank yeah uh, but as i told you i still hold most of my so i have vested zomato stock and i have sold some to pay for the taxes mm. outside of paying for the tax i am holding most of it so uh, and mukun given that now you knew so much about it at the time when you were joining uc which was an earlier stage company when you joined it how did this experience inform the uc equity discussion 
so i think the good part is when you transition as a startup leader i think the credibility is remarkably different i i think in hindsight i realized right i think just that three years suddenly put me in a different trajectory which i honestly don't think um <laughs> truly was deserved <laughs> we'll debate that offline we'll debate that offline because i don't think three years changes you so much right but i do think specific knowledge is hugely valuable and i think in this case specific knowledge was massive because very similar problems similar issues so i think they could see that okay this guy can bring a little bit of more value than an average person who would have just maybe had consulting experience so i think i had a fairly high premium coming in because of that so and i think you see founders have been fairly fair with most people so i don't think in this case i didn't even negotiate that the best part the number they put on the table i would say was so generous i was like this is good let's move forward um but i think that comes from i think people have underappreciate the value of credibility and reputation yeah if you've really done good work mm. it shows yeah i don't think you need to do more than that i really i and i tell this to all my team stop worrying about networking and writing posts yes if you enjoy it do it but don't do it for the sake of doing it because what matters is the reference call yeah. who gives the reference yeah. first of all here there was vamsi I'm sure he helped both sides, right? Like how he helped me understand the value of the company. I'm sure he helped the other side understand. Gear, I have seen him in close quarters. Hmm. This guy is going to be valuable. Yeah. So having, and that is not because Vamsi and me are friends. He has seen me in work context. I have seen him in work context. We both have respect for each other based on our capabilities. Got it. So I do think, especially this world is very small. Hmm. Like all the startup space are generally also right. It's the same fifty people moving around. The word goes around. Word goes around. So. If you do your job really well mm. and are exceptionally good at it, I don't think you need to do anything else. I do not do as a principal events. I don't join events. I don't like get to know people. One, I'm an extreme introvert. I hate no doing. No wonder it. it was hard to get you for this. No, time. no, <laughs> I don't think it was. It. I I am an extreme introvert. I don't enjoy doing it. I I'm not good at it. And I, 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 and I don't enjoy. Neither am I good at it. So I'm like, yeah. Why am I forcing to do this? I enjoy solving problems. I enjoy going and sitting down with teams and figuring out how to kind of crack a tough problem. Hmm. I want to put my time only to that. Um, But I think there's something in it for founders also to take away from this, right? That when you're having a discussion and you are convinced, then you lay out an offer which actually makes sense for both sides, right? Yeah. Otherwise, everyone is wasting See, time. See, haggling. I also feel from a relationship perspective, right? I feel haggling just sets the relationship in a bad tone. Hmm. Both sides, if they feel they've left something on the table, I always feel that's a better outcome. So. I think, for instance, I did not worry about my cash when I came to UC. It was a markedly step down from where I was at Zomato on cash. But then I realized the stage of their company, it'll be too expensive for them. So I didn't even have a discount. I was like, cool, I, I get where you're coming from. Yeah. Because they were so generous on equity. So I think both sides need to see eye to eye and realize this is the right call. Yeah. Because I see the equity could have gone either way. Sitting here today. I can BS my way that I could see the truth. No way. Like that risk was fairly high at that time. It could have gone anyways. Mm. I was willing to take the risk, and I think they were willing to take a risk on me, and it worked both ways. Mm. So both sides have to be very comfortable. I would say to leave a lot on the table. The minute you get into the haggle mindset, I've said I've seen both sides. It doesn't work. Ogun seems like this is a textbook wealth creation story via ESOPs. What are the some of the mistakes that you feel like? Okay, going back, you should have revisited and done differently when it comes to ESOPs. So I would say two things. Uh, one, 
I do think I sold more than I ever have liked <laughs> in hindsight. Uh, I I did sell, say for instance, in pre-IPO of Zomato, I did sell twenty percent. Uh, in hindsight, I was not keen to do it, but then I was like in FOMO mode, and I was like, "Karna padega." Um, I'm sure it helped, but if I think about it, see, if you're anyway like me, meaning you've kept your opex low, and wealth is truly wealth. It's not to solve your lifestyle in the short run. Then you let it compound. Do not break compounding because I learned the value of compounding. Because from that choice to now, I am seven x on the twenty percent. So I should have not let that happen. Yeah. In hindsight, yeah. um, I corrected for it by buying a lot more at forty two, uh, which I think made up for some of it. Uh, but still, I think in hindsight, I would say do not break compounding. I think very rarely do ride a wave. So when you ride a wave, please ride it fully, and that's what I keep telling myself because it's so anxious to. Continue the ride because you feel they are khatam ho jayega, but very rarely I think great companies are made and ride is happening. So you should play it out. You know the interesting and this is true because if hundred goes to five hundred and I sell, I've made four hundred bucks. But from five hundred, it can go to fifteen hundred and I make another thousand bucks. And that's so massive. Exactly in terms of multiples, it might be lesser, but in actual value terms, oh, it is made... remarkable. Exactly, you should not worry about excess here, right? It's yeah. about real money you take off the table. Was it is it two CR or is it four CR? It's a humongous difference. Correct. And the next two CR was actually way lower risk than the first two CR. So if you've made it till the first two CR, let it compound for some time. Yeah. Um, so so first mistake you said is selling too soon. Yeah. And at some level, in, sell, yeah, but I think yeah. be cautious. Like, don't be too risk. See, yeah, know that it you might have a regret moment a few agreed. years down the line. Agreed. So I, I think one is that, and second is I think it took me a while to understand that this plays out long run. Hmm. So you should not be anxious every year looking at your savings and thinking what am I doing. Hmm. I mean, to be real, right? So thirty four, thirty five, I came back to India. I had a loan from US. Because of the crazy price of an MBA, we should talk about it offline later. Yeah. But I did that also. Uh -huh. So I was literally starting zero at thirty-five. Yeah. So thirty-five to forty, nothing happened in my life because yeah. I mean, how much can you save from cash, right? Yeah. So you're like, dude, what am I doing in life? Like, yeah. I have two kids, and like you, you were no thinking, safety net, and no uh, safety net, and like, kar kya reo life mein? So it was very anxious, to be in all honesty, right? And then suddenly the IPO happened, my life changed. Yeah. So. I do think there is a long period of time which has crazy anxious uh, anxiety. Yeah. I don't know how to tell people don't be anxious because that is what they infer. But I would love to handle that a little better because I put myself under a lot of pressure in that period. That, yar, which way is this going to go? No, it is true, and it does happen. And like even my previous journey when we sort of started a company and we scaled it. During that, I could see other friends who were in consulting yeah. and etc. Investment banking making way more money. Exactly. And I was like, oh my god, like. No, and it's true, and and it's not about lifestyle or other things, right? Then you really start worrying. Okay, I have kids. What do I do? So I think those struggles are real. So I don't want to make it sound like it is some hypothetical situation. It is a real situation. So, but the truth is, we are playing a high risk game. So if you're playing that game, then it unfortunately takes time. Yeah. So one is knowing that fact, but the other is being okay with it. Yeah. I think it took me a while to get okay with it, and to that extent, I think some selling helped because that I think that was the first time I got okay with it because I was like, okay, now there is something, so now let's get uh, okay with it. And you know, to that extent, the first part doesn't seem like such a big mistake because if it makes you comfortable and you can ride the bigger journey, then uh, that's why I said I, I think hindsight is all fifty-fifty, right? I, I would say 
be cautious how much you dilute is the limited point i would that's true for startups also right yes. if you raise too much early early on yeah. then you dilute way too much yeah. is that money really required for growth is a good question you always ask in startup right yaar early stage mein dilute karenge to bahut chala jata hai ownership yeah very true for esop if you dilute too early hmm. then you will not get the upset it's the same math so can you be smart about dilution i think that might be the only way to think about it so if you really have conviction about the company take some off but be thoughtful like do you really think selling to buy a house is that the real call i don't know like a lot of my friends did that i am not sure that's the right call from a wealth management perspective again buying a house is a very personal decision if that makes you comfortable please do it especially in the indian context when families are expected True. you do own a house and if that gives everyone in the family some comfort so be it but don't yeah. kid yourself it's wealth because if your yield on that rent is 2% 3% don't kid yourself it's wealth you're solving for i think as long as the objective is clear i think then we are in a good place Ogun this has been amazing uh, i loved how candid you were about the transitions you made about scaling at zomato and about esops thank you so much for doing this no it was a pleasure thank you so much for having me Thank you.